May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. If you're driving on I-480 and heading over towards the Hopkins uh, International Airport near Cleveland, you'll pass this, um, this plant, factory, something, and it has these huge silos out there. They're, they're pink, I think, and, um, and they say, like, milk and sugar and cocoa. You, you know what you do? You've seen these, maybe. I always think if there was an oats and a peanut butter, we could like make like the world's largest no-bake cookie, and it would be so awesome, wouldn't it? I mean, could you? I don't know if you like. I I love no-bake cookies, and so I, I just think how how great it would be if we had this huge one. I mean, there may be nothing better than a no-bake cookie, except maybe bourbon bowls. But that's a story for a completely different day. Um, but it, it, if we could just have this really giant. No bake cookie. It's like oats and peanut butter and chocolate. And it reminded me. I was thinking about that the other day, uh, some time ago, some years ago. I was making these no bake cookies, and um, and I was making them, and I was so excited because it was so thrilled. This was going to be a great treat. I haven't had them in forever because they have this adverse effect on my weight. <laughs> but uh, whenever I do, I I kind of think like maybe around Thanksgiving I'm going to have another one. But um, I was making them one time, and I. In a haste. I just couldn't wait for them to be done um, because you don't have to bake them. That's the really nice part about it. And, and as I'm doing it, I, I put them together and I start to, to spoon it out, like to put them on the, on the plate, you know, so they can chill. It just takes a few minutes and they're ready to go. But it was like soup. I mean, they, they just, they weren't going, it looked like it looked awful, you know. And, and I couldn't, what in the world did I do, you know. So I, I tasted it. It was sweet and chocolatey. But there was clearly something missing and I couldn't. What was it? What did I not do right? And I, and I knew, and I just looked and looked. And looked. Eventually it occurred to me that I forgot to put peanut butter in them. I, you have to put peanut butter in them because it's like the glue that holds them together and it adds flavor too. So you, if you don't put peanut butter, you just completely ruin it. And I think right then and there, I realized that all ingredients are important. You know, sometimes there's an ingredient that's easily overlooked. It just seems like it shouldn't matter that much. But they all do. St. Paul writes a letter to a young man who's the pastor of the church in Ephesus. He's probably the bishop of the church in Ephesus at this time. His name is Timothy. And the part of the letter is found in your bulletin today, the first letter of Paul to Timothy. And he spends the first chapter of this first letter writing to Timothy about personal issues. Listen, Timothy, avoid theological distractions. Don't let people get you uh, hung up on, on things that don't matter. Remember the authority you have in your ordination. Remember the gifts that were given to you by the laying on of hands, he says. And keep focused on the mission of the church, which is God's mission in the world. Do these things. And so it's sort of Paul, the, the, the sort of senior leader to Timothy, the young and up-and-coming up leader, look, let, let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you, boy, these things that you need to make sure you do. And then in chapter 2, there's a little shift. Paul sort of pivots from his straight talking to Timothy to saying, now let me tell you about the whole church, about what the church is to do. And in very short order, Paul begins to talk to Timothy about the liturgy of the church. Now, you know that liturgy is, um, you know, that thing that's in our bulletin. There's this order of service, the way that we do things. But the word liturgy actually comes from two Greek words. 
One is laos, which is people. And the other is ergon, which is work. Liturgy is literally, (laughs) I got that out, the work of the people. In fact, we talk about the church service. The church service is about that service we come to render to God, not the service that somebody renders to us. We don't come to worship to be served, but rather to be servants. We come, all of us, as those who serve. And so Paul begins to talk to Timothy about the work of the church, and the priority naturally goes to the liturgy, what it is that the church does in its worship. Look with me, if you will, at the epistle lesson in in our bulletin. I'm not sure what page it's on, but it's the one that says epistle lesson. (laughs) What is it? It's on page 6. Of course it is. Right, page 6 right there. Um, And you'll look at it with me. And Paul says, First of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. First of all, this is he's not giving us a list. Okay, I'm going to tell you what number one, number two, number three. He's saying, as a matter of priority, as a number one task, your first job is to do this. Your first, most important job in what you do. The other day, I'm in a grocery store, and um, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm so distracted in grocery stores. I, I just go there and I see all this stuff, and and I forget. My wife will say, she'll say, Joe, go to the store, get milk and bread. And I come back with all sorts of stuff, you know? And she'll say, but do you have milk and bread? Oh, I knew! I knew there was something. So, anyway, I'm in the store, and I'm, as usual, distracted. And and, and at some point, I think I have the stuff, and then I think we need cranberry juice. Of course we do. We, we need cranberry juice. So so I'm looking around for it, and I can't find it. And, and there's this group of workers in the aisle, and they're, they're changing labels. And they're talking, you know, um, to each other as they're changing labels on the shelf. And I, and I walk up, and, and this young lady, she's, she's talking to this young guy, and she's saying, and I talked to Brenda on the phone the other day, and I told her, you know, I can text whoever I want, you know, and Jesse's, I can talk to him if I want. And, and I'm standing there, you know, just waiting for this. You know, I was kind of interested in what Brenda and Jesse and everybody else was doing. But, and so I said to him at some point, excuse me. And this young lady, she looks at me like, are you rude or what? You know, I, I just want to know where the juice is, you know. And, and she just didn't want to tell me. Like, she was in the middle of a conversation. And finally the fellow says, I think it's in like aisle five. Okay, um, back to what you were doing, you know, carry on. It's like they forgot that the whole point of being there in the grocery store was to serve the customer. You know, this was like, um, had become somewhat of a, a peripheral importance, you know, but it's not... That's their job, you know. I was the entire point of their job was to help me find cranberry juice so that my wife could tell me you forgot bread, you know. (laughs) Sometimes, I think, we can get so caught up in all of our jobs that we forget our first job. Our very first job. Back to the text, back to the bulletin. First of all, the very first thing, I urge. Urge is kind of a... It doesn't come off the way Paul says it. Parakaleo. I insist. I am, I am of priority importance telling you. Listen up, is what he's saying. It's a knock on the pulpit. I urge you that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for 
all people. I don't know how many you think are included in all, (laughs) but all is a pretty inclusive term, isn't it? You shall pray for all people. And and notice that supplications and prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving, even John Calvin, who is probably as bright as anybody who's lived in the last couple hundred years, looks at this and says, I have no idea what the distinction between these words is. You know, it, it, it seems like they're all saying sort of the same thing. And maybe that's the point. I want you to pray. I want you to pray earnestly. I want you to intercede. I want you to, to, um, to offer supplications. I want you to give thanksgiving for all people. Now, here's where you knew it's coming. That You know I'm setting you up. I know you know this, right? And so you know it's coming. Verse 2. For kings and all. How many? All who are in high positions. Positions of authority. Pray for all that are in authority. Have you ever noticed that it's a lot easier to pray for the president you voted for than the one that you didn't? Now, not me. I mean you, right? Yes. Why are you laughing? (laughs) All who are in authority. All kings who are in authority. When Paul wrote this, Nero was the emperor in Rome. Nero. You know what this guy did? He took Christians, he doused them with oil, tied them to, to, to poles in the city, and lit them on fire to light the city streets at night. Paul says, I want you to pray for Nero. What would he say to us? I want you to pray for all who are in authority. Oh, you say, but you don't understand, Joe. You don't know what this president or the last president or the next president, you don't know. Oh, I know. I know. I've been to your homes. I know. We've talked about this, haven't we? When I was uh, when I was 15, I got my very first real job that paid me an actual paycheck, and it was working as a corn detasseler in this field. Okay, and um, and here's what corn detasseling in, in, it consists of: it is about you know I don't remember July or so. The corn is coming up. It's you know up to you know your waist, my neck. Uh, anyway, and so it's, a, it's a high. And, and, um, and people, you would walk through the, the cornfields. They would hire these kids to walk through cornfields and go down the rows, and there's little tassels on the top, and you would pull out the tassel. And I think it makes the corn grow further or something. I don't know. I have no idea why you do it. I just remember they grab here and pull them out. And so here you are walking down, pulling these tassels up, and you just throw them on the ground. You go down, and you turn, and you come back. And it's 125 degrees in the field, and you do it for eight hours, and it's a miserable job. It's awful. It's the worst job ever. It got worse. One day, we're out detasseling this field, and we're right next to the adjacent field to us. It was, um, was an empty field that they were fertilizing with chicken manure. If you've ever been on a farm, there is nothing worse. I mean, it's like pure ammonia. It's like, cover your face. And the poor guys, thank be to God it wasn't me. But the guys who were like in the first three or four rows, 
The chicken manure machine was coming down, shooting it into the air. And the guys were walking, yeah, they were walking right underneath it. Any idea where it landed? Yeah. One of them quit. I'm not doing this anymore, he says. I'm out of here. And he walks away. The others just got rained with chicken manure. You know what? Sometimes your job is in the middle of the field, and other times you're on the end of the field, right? But your job is still your job. You still have a job to do. You still have a calling to fulfill. We never know what our prayers might do to a person's life. We never know what sort of prayers. And I'm not just talking about those in government. I'm talking about the neighbor down the street who's a real pain. You know, who always like throws your newspaper in the yard or something. You know, who does mean things, you know. Who lets his dog come over and fertilize your grass. You know that neighbor, right? It's, it's, a, it's that guy too. It's the person at work that says mean things and you don't want... You just, oh goodness, I just... I urge that you pray for all people. And all is a really inclusive term. Read the biographies of the, some great people in the world. John Newton. John Newton was a, a sailor and a slave trader and one of the most vile people on the face of the earth ever. But somebody prayed for him. And somebody led him to Jesus Christ. And he became a Christian. And he quit trading slaves. And he quit being a sailor. Not that there's any wrong with being a sailor. But he quit that job. And he became a priest in the Church of England. Became an Anglican priest. He looked back on his life and he wrote a hymn. Amazing Grace. Did you know Amazing Grace was an Anglican hymn? Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Newton wasn't just being self-deprecating. He was being honest. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. St. Augustine of Hippo, a sexually immoral, wild young man, becomes a university professor. His mother was a Christian. He had no room for Christianity, no idea, didn't want, didn't want to be a Christian. Furthest thing from his mind. But he taught rhetoric at a university in Milan. And he heard that there was this Christian preacher who was this great orator. And, and Am, or Augustine went over to hear Ambrose preach just because he wanted to see you know, his style. And so he goes to the church, they hear him preach, and he's converted. He becomes a Christian. And he becomes not only a Christian, he eventually becomes a bishop. And he becomes one of the most influential Christians in, in the last uh, 2,000 years. Uh, you know, he's 500 years after Christ. So he, here he is, this, this revolutionary figure. No one perhaps more than St. Paul. I mean, next to St. Paul, St. Augustine. But that brings us to St. Paul. St. Paul, a man who ordered the execution of Christians. He stood there while the very first Christian was martyred, St. Stephen. And he watched the coats. In other words, he was, the, he was the one given the order. And he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. He becomes this man who takes the gospel around the world. And if we had time, we could just go from one to another to another about people whose lives were radically changed. If I wasn't so embarrassed, I'd tell you how, what an awful human being I was. And you'd say, oh, no, you're a good guy. No, I wasn't. The only thing that made the difference in my life is Jesus Christ. Changed me internally, made me into a different human being. 
We pray for all people because we do not know what God can do in a person's life. The person that we see is not the person they can become. I read this story about um, this soldier during the Civil War. Um, seems the soldier was serving in the Union Army. His father and his brother both serving with him. Both were killed. He had a sister and a mother who were left in the family farm. And, and so he, he, had to, he, he wanted to ask if he could have a, a furlough for the spring to go plant crops so that his, his mother and his sister wouldn't starve. And so he goes to his commanding officer. His commanding officer says, you, can, you have to go to, to Washington. We'll give you a furlough. You can go to Washington. He goes through all the chain of command. Nobody will. Uh, somebody eventually says, only the president could give you that sort of thing. And so he went to the White House. In those days, you could actually go to the White House. And so the soldier goes to the White House. He goes to the front. And there's a guard at the gate. And he tells the guard, I'm here to ask the president for a furlough so that I could go home and plant crops to save my sister and my mother. The guard says... Hey, boy, don't you know there's a war going on, you know? You're not going to see the president now or ever. Get out of here. Get back to your troop. So the soldier walks off and he goes and he sits in a park and he's sitting on a bench in the park. He's just beside himself. He doesn't know what to do. And this little boy comes up and he looks at him and he says, Hey, mister, what's so sad, you know, or whatever, or something like that. And the soldier looks at the little boy and he says, Well, tells him the story. And the boy says, I think I can help. The soldier says, I'm sure you cannot. He says, no, come with me. And the little boy takes the soldier by the hand and he walks to the White House. Same guard standing right there. And the little boy led the soldier right past the guard. The guard said not a word. And the soldier was dumbfounded. How is this possible? Leads him right through the front door. Goes right to the president's office and doesn't knock at all. Instead, he just opens the door and walks right in. And not a soul said a word to him. And he walks right up to the desk. President Lincoln behind the desk, Secretary of War, whoever else was in there. The little boy looks up. Lincoln looks down at him and says, Todd, what can I do for you? Todd says, Dad, this soldier needs your help. Lincoln looks at the soldier and says, Young man, what can I do for you? The soldier told him the story. Lincoln pulled out a sheet of paper from his desk and wrote him a furlough right then and there. The little boy was the president's son. And the president's son had access to the very highest chamber of authority and power. You know where I'm going, right? You have access, I have access to a far higher authority. To the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he bids us, come right on in. Make your requests known. And who knows, but that our prayers won't change the course of history. That's our job, and we dare not shy away from it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.